Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. How many instances can we think of when someone's come up with a new drink, stuck it in a large V-shaped cocktail glass, and called it a martini? There's the apple teeny, terrible drink. The espresso martini, eh, I'll leave that one up to you to decide. And a porn star martini, absolute banger. And that is a hill I will die on. Of course, none of these drinks are proper martini riffs. And while that's its own complicated subject, I'd say that for bona fide riffs, you need to look to the perfect martini, the dirty martini, and the Gibson. But should we actually be lumping the Gibson in there? I mean, in its simplest form, yeah, it's a martini with a cocktail onion. But then, in the hands of someone like Megan Dorman, I would say the Gibson is its own standalone drink. I personally first had that revelation when I tried Megan's Gibson at Dear Irving on Gramercy. And honestly, I think after hearing today's conversation, you will absolutely agree with me. Either way, this is a cocktail, especially the way Megan makes it, for those who love a great project. Let's get into it. So, so here we go. I'm Tim McCurdy. This is Cocktail College, and we are in the Vine Pear Studio today with Megan Dorman. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. And I'm really excited to chat with you today about the Gibson. And this is a drink that I know you have gone to great extent to perfect. <laughs> I want to start with a little if you want to call it maybe the elevator pitch for the Gibson, right? You could say, this is a martini with a cocktail onion. Now, It's a having, martini with a snack. It's a martini with a snack. Fantastic. You know, why have a drink or food when you can have both at the same time? Exactly. But having had your Gibson, I know that that's also selling it slightly short. Yours isn't just a martini with a snack. You go further, so... Do, do you see it that way? Is, is the Gibson for you, is it a riff on the martini or is it its own standalone cocktail? Because it's getting its own episode. Yeah, right? It should live on its own. I definitely put it in the martini family. Mm -hmm. But my goal when I was creating this Gibson for, it's been on the menu since we opened Deer Irving in 2014, was to bring more people into the Gibson game because I thought that it got a bad rap and didn't stand up as well with the martinis and the martinas and all those related drinks. So I made a more savory version, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, I wanted to bring more people into the Gibson fold. Mm -hmm. And I think what you do with your Gibson is incredible too, because again, kind of placing it as a standalone cocktail. But if we're talking about martini riffs or cocktails with martini in the name, most of them aren't martinis. And the Gibson kind of is, but again, like I, I think this is this kind of bona fide standalone drink so yeah i'm really excited to chat about that today um if we're gonna go chronologically we can we can start by looking at the history um is there any kind of important historical aspects to this drink is this a drink that we know the history about or is this another one of those 
wow, it, it could have been anything. Yeah, as Dave Wondrich has said many times, the thing about drinks history is people were drinking. So it's not very official. My <laughs> favorite Gibson story is, however, I believe it was kind of Mad Men era LA or maybe a little earlier, but there was uh, a businessman, I think his name was Charles Gibson, so the story goes, um, he would get to lunch ahead of time. This was the era of three martini lunch and order one with a cocktail onion to distinguish his from his guests. And after the first one, he was only drinking cold water and everyone else was still drinking. So that's how he stayed smart and sharp at three martini lunch. So there's also stories about the Gibson girls and um, I think a couple others, but that's my fave. I like that story. And, you know, Kudos to Charles Gibson if he's doing that, because once you have one, it's very hard to turn the second or even the third down. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> one thing that I always think about when when reading that or variations on that tale, it makes me think, what other cocktails out there have cocktail onions? Like, how would the bartenders have had that on place? Or is that coming from the kitchen? I mean, we're calling it a cocktail onion, right? But... What other drinks are associated with that? So it is a pickled onion, which Mm -hmm. if you do go back in drinks history or just food history was a big way of preserving things. So it's not that surprising to me that, although you don't see it pop up in too many other recipes, that it actually might have been more prevalent than it was for a while. Mm -hmm. But then we got to the ones that we just buy on the store shelves that are more preserved in like wine or some kind of, I wouldn't call it exactly pickled, but we went back to pickling at Dear Irving to make a really savory, delicious onion. Yeah, and I can't wait to get into that too <laughs> because if there's one thing that I enjoy, it's it's a cocktail with a project attached. And that's one of the great things about the Gibson is having that if you're going to go into that, making it at home. But I think a great point that, you know, listening to you speak there probably didn't, you know, you probably didn't ask for it with a cocktail onion. You probably asked for it, right? Like the pickled onion or with an onion in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just what it was and... Has maybe here's a different question. Has the Gibson created the quote unquote cocktail onion? Who knows? I think I do think it's the only reason they exist, <laughs> whether or not they served another purpose before. Fantastic. And if we can just briefly outline the other ingredients that are gonna be in there and then and then we can break each one down bit by bit. So what what's gonna be in your in your classic Gibson, whether it's yours or kind of anyone's? So a classic Gibson would most likely be what we also call a wet martini, which is probably one ounce of dry vermouth and two ounces of London dry gin with a cocktail onion. Um, I wanted to make a more savory one at Irving, and I do think that combination with the store shelf onion can make a very astringent Gibson, which is probably why it wasn't as beloved <laughs> as yeah. others. So I use a Bianco vermouth, uh, Carpano Bianco, so it's a little sweeter, a little richer, a little more herbal. Mm-hmm. Tangeray 10, which is a more citrus foraging created just for martinis. And we actually use some of the pickled onion brine in the drink. So it's like got that little champagne vinegar edge, a little savory, a little richer and rounder than the classic. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes down to it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is one of the things that really kind of sets your recipe apart, which is using Carpano Bianco or using, using a white vermouth that's not dry. Um, and you mentioned there, it's not just, so you're not just talking about the sweetness. I guess that's what led you there in the first place, but also the the aromatics with that. Do you think Car- Carpano then, do you think that goes down a different path to maybe like a Dolan or, or other 
white vermouth that people are using? Yeah, I do. I would definitely use Dolan Dry in just a standard martini. But for this, our particular, our house Gibson, that's the way we went. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't interchange it in every dry vermouth recipe. Mm-hmm. And it's it was trying that for me and seeing the recipe written down was like this light bulb moment, right? Like we are always, with cocktails or cooking, we're always trying to create perfect balance. And we don't always need to put, you know, acidity, sweetness, bitterness, and whatever. But when when some of those aspects are in there, it's it's very good. And, and having that sweet white vermouth, I'm like, yeah, that's that's so good. Or Bianco vermouth, I should say. Um, and also it gives me a reason to use it because I find like I have it on my shelf and then in my fridge when I open it. But what else am I using Bianco vermouth for? It does make a great spritz. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend it there. Uh, but yeah, in the Gibson, that's the way to in go. In the Gibson, that's <laughs> yeah. it. And the other thought process I had with that too is I really like to show off still how, you know, two, three, four ingredients, like simplicity, which is how we started at Rain's Law Room, very classic focus, much smaller space. But even at Deer Irving, when it's a bigger bar, it has a kitchen so we can do a little more. I still just love to show off like what three things can do to turn into something brand mm-hmm. new. So much greater than the sum of their parts. Exactly. And then you're using a wonderful gin in there, Tanqueray Tan. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about that style of gin as well versus the kind of classic London dries. So I'm a big gin fan altogether. So it's not that I pick one over the other, but I do pick them for different reasons. My retirement plan is to have a gin and tonic every day at four. So I'm, I'm committed to the category, okay? So Tangeray 10, of course, is the sister of uh, the benchmark Tangeray. I believe what I was heard uh, through this industry um, is it was created just for martinis, and that was the idea. Yeah. So, of course, it has juniper like it must, but it's way more on the citrus side of things and Grapefruit, especially, I get a big grapefruit note from Tangeray 10. So I do think it's a little softer. I think it plays really well with the herbal side of the vermouth. Still dries it out from that little extra sweetness we get from the Bianco vermouth. And then that it's just a quarter ounce of the onion brine that we actually use. So not just the garnish, but the brine. Um, so yeah, savory, sweet, dry all together. Mm-hmm. And if we are trying to break down flavors here I'm, I'm going in my mind here i'm trying to visualize flavors right this is a, this is a weird thing to say but when it comes to you know this is a more delicate gin than than standard tanqueray and also on the other hand you have these very bold ingredients as well you have that onion but like you said you're also using some of the brine and a, a bold vermouth was your intention to to have the tanqueray kind of shine just as much do you feel like clearly you do feel like it does or was it to create this kind of like one homogenized flavor in a good way rather than you know that might sound bad yeah the goal was for it to be a supporting actor in a brand new flavor and not I do think it made a difference I tried it with a a few different ways when I was working on it but it's really about it being more than the sum of its parts and this is Definitely the only occasion I th- where I can think that I've had gin as something of a supporting actor, but that actually still works amazing. Like, right, like in the martini episode of this show, I talked about how I want Vermouth to be the supporting actor and I want the gin to be there. But yeah, it really works in this in this instance. 
So next ingredient, and probably, you know, let's be honest, that the defining ingredient of this and, and Annie Gibson, the cocktail onion. Let's get into this because this is really exciting. So first question I'm going to ask, these onions, can I go to my store and can I get the kind of frozen peeled ones? Can I just be looking around the veg section for the smallest onions I can find in there? Or is there a specific variety of onion that you like to use for this? Yes, and I know we're in Radio Land, so you'll have to come to Deer Irving and have one because it's a red pearl onion, and it's just so beautiful in that clear martini. So we use red pearl onions. We do buy them already peeled, so Mm -hmm. no reason to put extra work on this project that you might do. But you can get red pearl onions or even any small onion, but I really love the visual factor of the red ones. Um, And then the other big factor there is champagne vinegar. Champagne vinegar. We're going to keep it classy. Um, I think it's a a little softer, again, like something that blends really well with the wine base in the vermouth. And I would say if you can't find champagne vinegar still, you want to go a step above like the white vinegar that's on the shelf. Something a little nicer. Yeah. And like we said, this is is really the, the star of the show in this drink in a way. So you cannot skimp on those ingredients and especially that, that vinegar, right? And yeah. And you have to keep the onions crunchy. So what I do is if you're not familiar with pickling something, you make the like sugar and spice and vinegar mix, bring that to a boil. I put the onions in for just a minute exactly. And I stand there and time it. And then I separate them until everything's cool. And then I'll combine it again. But that keeps the onions crunchy because you want your snack to be delightful with that martini. And then you're storing those in that pickling. Mm -hmm. We call it pickling liquor in the UK. But I've since been told that that does not translate very well, that the the liquor. So pickling brine, is that the terminology? We call it brine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you're storing it in those after, presumably after the, the, the brine has cooled, then you're storing it back in there for preservation purposes. Exactly. And then also the brine will get a little bit of that red onion color as well. So it's like just a little hint of pink. Amazing. And when I used to work in a kitchen and when I was on the starter section, you know, we would have a, a lot of pickles that we were keeping on top of, you know, whether it was shallots or, or little Girol mushrooms or whatever. We would continue to reuse and reuse that brine. Is that something that you do too? And if you are doing that, like how often are you kind of maybe kind of refreshing it with something? Is it almost like the uh, the sourdough starter where you have your base, but you're, you're refreshing it? Yeah, we definitely have to use the same you know, recipe over again so that it is the same and consistency is really important. I think the best thing about pickles is that they're meant to last, you know, forever. We make a lot of Gibsons, so we run through it. But, you know, if if it is something that you make at home, it will last a long time, which is Mm -hmm. great. Kind of Solera brine situation happening here. (laughs) So, you know, that's another reason why you need to go to Deer Irving and and have your Gibson because this Solera has been going on for generations now. These, these onions, these are, are unique. They are, yeah. And you also mentioned as well the color there. I think that really kind of visually makes your cocktail pop. It just makes it, it's another dimension. And also, it, it kind of came across the same time. So we opened Deerving 2014 when you just had to give in to the fact, whether you love it or not, that people are taking a lot of photos of their food and drink. Mm-hmm. So it, it did, you know, it's a beautiful space. I wanted a really simple drink, but that would look, beautiful when people were photographing it so that was part of the idea as well Mm -hmm. and 
So yeah, we have our ingredients here. We have our two parts gin, one part vermouth. We have now established how you're making those onions. Actually, one more question about the onions for you. So when you're making that brine, going back to balance, are you looking for this to be, obviously you want it to be balanced, but are you looking for it to be kind of noticeably acidic, vinegary, or are you almost, are you striving for perfect balance on that solution when you're tasting it? The brine definitely is a bit on the vinegary pickle side, but I think the champagne vinegar helps it balance in the cocktail overall. And while we do want that little punch, we don't want it to be like on the kombucha side of things. Right. Or again, I was trying to bring more people to the Gibson, not turn them off from it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's not, let's not make this too complex. Exactly. And have you ever tried using vermouth in that as well? I just, from the chef side of things, I always feel like, well, if we're we're using vermouth in the cocktail, then it might be cool to kind of use that in the, in the brine as well. Have you tried that? And yeah. I haven't tried it only because I was so happy how the onions came out right. in the first couple tries. And the big thing was the champagne vinegar that I didn't dive too much into anything else. Right, yeah. If it ain't broke, in fact, if it's it's better than ain't I'm broke. I'm always it's... happy when I when I get something right, you know, pretty close to the yeah. first couple tries. Let's let's not overcomplicate <laughs> things, yeah. <laughs> and then you're just taking that exact same brine when you're using it, including it in the cocktail. Uh, it, are you looking for that to be kind of like from the freshest batch or whatever, or again, given its ingredients, you know, and also it's like, are you storing that in the fridge in between service? Yeah, we are storing it in the fridge. We do separate it. Um, so we always keep the onions in the brine. We like drain off a little bit into what we call a cheater bottle. So a little bottle that we keep at the bar, but we, we just make so many Gibsons that we're going through it. I would say we make onions once a week, so it's not sitting too long. Okay. And we're going to talk about stirring and whatnot in a second in preparation, but um, temperature of those onions when you serve them. Do you want those to be cold? Do you want them to be slightly more room temperature? Because obviously you want to have an impact when you bite into it, but you get that crunch, so. Yeah, I don't think they need to be freezing. We do keep them like in a garnish jar on crushed ice, as we do with olives, because what is important is that you work so hard to make this cold, perfectly diluted cocktail you don't want to put a warm onion or olive in it and just you know it's yeah not going to change temperature immediately but we're detailed focused people these drinks are expensive yeah. <laughs> like we can chill your onion for you <laughs> exactly and if you just like you said you just spent all that effort bringing this drink down to temperature you don't want to raise it straight back up again with exactly, a warm exactly yeah so let's talk about that and let's talk about stirring um it's something that fascinates me about martini style drinks is all the different things you hear about stirring and people have different (laughs) techniques do you have any kind of I don't know idiosyncrasies when it comes to to stirring these together like is it it a time is it a feeling is it sight or even hearing like let's talk about that process so I call stirring the ballet of bartending Uh, because I think it should be one of those things where it's, it's quite elegant you get a great result but when you're really good and your technique is good you don't actually see the effort you know you can still have a conversation over the bar mm-hmm. and oh oh this beautiful martini's done wow barely even noticed what was happening um <laughs> when I'm training bartenders though I kind of work a little backwards as in this is the result you, we 
want. Yeah. How you get there, I'm not going to tell you 10 seconds or 12 seconds or exactly how long to shake because it is a little different per person. What we're trying to get to is this result, yeah. this over and over and over. So I, th- I think it can vary a little bit for people. But for me, when I'm making a Gibson, first I'm going to start with our less our small affordable ingredients. So that would be our onion brine first. Mm-hmm. In case I mess up, I'm not going to throw out a bunch of tank gray tin. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to start with that. Then I'm going to do the one ounce of the Bianco Vermouth. Then I'm going to do two ounces of the tank gray tin in a mixing glass, which is also a little bit cold, not freezing, but from the fridge. Mm-hmm. I always do four whole cold draft cubes and three cracked ones. Okay. Stir for about 10 seconds. And that's me. That's how I get yeah. the result I want. And then that way I can see it. I pretty much know every time when it's done. Um, we have a frozen cocktail glass for it. Coop that chilled onion on a nice toothpick. Mm-hmm. Strain it out. No, no, flight in it, no floating icebergs or anything like right. that. Nice, uh, beautiful, cold Gibson. Fantastic. And you mentioned cracking ice cubes there. And you also mentioned David Wondridge earlier. And without wanting to kind of timestamp this too much or whatever, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember Dave Wondridge was on Twitter every day making cocktails step by step with photos. I'm not sure whether you saw that, but one thing he would go into every day was like, first step, what you're going to do, of course, as always, is crack your ice. And I was like, wow, you know, I feel like a real amateur here because I've never been doing that. And I did not know that that was a thing. Can you tell us about that? So it, it also a little bit depends what kind of ice you have because I have probably noticed at cocktail bars there is a few different kinds of ice and it can kind of um, work against you when you have this like super dense right. ice because it actually doesn't give off a lot of water right away and you are looking for a little bit of dilution. Water is an ingredient in cocktails. It helps bond everything. It can take the hotness out of some higher proof things, kind of helps blend it all into something brand new. But if you have bigger ice cubes or cold draft cubes, it can take a while. So you're like, you're stirring and you're stirring and you're stirring and you're stirring. And this person's like, oh, can I have my Gibson now? Um, So if you're at home or like hotel ice, you know, it's going to melt a lot faster. But if you have some really dense, super cold cubes, just cracking them will like break it up. It's going to dilute a little faster. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how I look at it. Larger surface area. Yeah, but then when you're having an old-fashioned, you love one of those big cubes because they do let you, like, sip and savor that drink a little longer. Fantastic. And who'd have thought, you know, that larger surface area that, at least I think I kept getting taught that at high school or primary school, and I was like, when am I going to use surface areas? And, you know, actually it does have a practical (laughs) use in life that we can appreciate. (laughs) I will say sometimes the bartender science seems a little like, Okay, sure. Uh, but <laughs> a bit like bartender history. Yeah, you know? mm. I'm I'm like, what's the result? Okay, okay, now I'm in. I don't know about your science, but I'm in. <laughs> in this case it definitely there definitely seems to be a strong case for it though. And you you mentioned there as well pouring into a chilled glass. If I recall correctly, you're using a Nicanora glass for this, or is that a very specific glass? Either way, it's absolutely beautiful, but what's your preference? Yeah, it's kind of, our glass is between a Nicanora and a coupe, which is like the rounder champagne bowl ones. Um, I believe a true Nicanora would be a little, um, almost a little square and often has the sidecar on the side of the extra bit of drink, which we don't do. We give it all to you. Uh, but it is, a sl- it's like, I would say it's in between them. Mm-hmm. And 
versus a kind of classic cocktail coupe. Mm-hmm. Does that also just help with the kind of uh, wait staff or whatever when it comes to delivering these at tables or handing them over or whatever? Yeah, for us also, we don't want everything to look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So we did know that like the Gibson was going to be like one of our drinks that as long as people liked it would be on the menu for a long time. So we ordered a lot of those glasses. Yeah. And that's like our Gibson glass. And then we have a few others for other drinks, but it also kind of goes into that aesthetic of we don't want everything landing on the table looking exactly the same. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, there has to be a little style to it. Fantastic. And then just any other general thoughts about the Gibson? Um, if not, I have a I have a, a, a quick anecdote <laughs> that I can share with you, just in terms of your own Gibson. That again, this was so the first time I tried your Gibson was was one week before the the pandemic, and. Um, we were out with some friends and we absolutely loved it. And then within a week later, we sadly did not have any access <laughs> any to bars. Access. And the Gibson for, for me and those friends became the drink that we would meet up on Zoom every other week and, and, and make, try and make, definitely not as well as yourself. But that became the drink of the pandemic for me. So I wanted yeah. to share that with you. Thank you. Uh, I love to hear that. And I did think when I made it for Deerving, I was like, good I like it but you never really know how things will hit with people and when people came back and were like I've been thinking about that Gibson or I you know I would be working and I try to sit down at all the bars and just relax and have a drink every once in a while but if it's been a while and I sit down and have one on it just warms my heart that people are like I came back for that drink I thought about it and that's that's a big win yeah and from my personal perspective as well it it takes a lot for me to not order a martini as well. So the fact that you are that you offer something that's also very closely related, but if I were going back today, that's the first thing I'd be going for too, rather than the martini. So yeah, yeah. really incredible. It's kind of our thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been absolutely fantastic breaking down the the, the Gibson and your Gibson today. Um, but Megan, I would love for us to kind of get to know yourself and and your career a little bit more via our kind of stock questions that we ask at the end of every episode. How does that sound? I'm ready for the rapid fire. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So question number one, what would be the first bottle, whether it's a brand or kind of general style or category that makes it onto any of your bar programs? So, wow. Not going to rapid fire this one. (laughs) (laughs) So I always want to be able to make a Negroni. So that's three bottles. But also two things I always, always buy is Ford's Gin and Buffalo Trace Bourbon. They're just like standards for me. They work in so many drinks that as much as we want to be particular about a certain Gibson, if you just want to be able to make a few drinks really well, those are two things that stand Mm -hmm. out to me. And we have said this on this show before. I have said this on the show before too, but Ford's Gin, you know, I read a lot of brands talking about how they've crafted a gin for bartenders, but this is true in this scenario. Like, this is the bartender's gin for bartenders, right? It's just incredible. Yeah, which is why if, if you didn't weren't able to have a huge selection, but you did want to make both shaken and stirred drinks or gin and tonics plus Negronis and martinis, it's a solid bet. It's a, it's a real all-rounder, right? Like exactly. It, yeah, that's fantastic. And... At Dear Irving at the moment, how many gins do you have on the back bar, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, we probably have 
between, I would say 12 maybe. Nice. Definitely double digits. Small uh, New York real estate, so not yep. everything under the sun, but I would probably about 12, yeah. I think that says a lot about the importance yeah. <laughs> of gin. <laughs> so second question here for you. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? A wine key, because I always forget them <laughs> until I'm going through, uh, you know, the security for the flight and I lose yet another one. A good wine key, I think, is very important. Um, Using it for, for, for just wine in general or are you having wine, other uses but like for like the, the little knife to open things and not use your good knife on bottles right. and boxes. I think I just say that because... I'm so often like feel like an amateur because I don't have one and like, right. Oh God, how embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I feel like, you know, not sure whether I want to admit this, but like wine keys are a bit like lighters. Like no one's ever bought one and yeah. they just get passed along from person to person and they always go missing. Right? And when you like, have a really good one, you're like, make sure you give it back. Yeah. <laughs> the lighter of the bar world, yes. everyone. <laughs> Third question for you. What's the most important piece of advice you've received during your time in the industry? Um, can I swear on here? Absolutely. It's <laughs> Audrey Saunders once told me, don't take any shit. And I was like, you know what? I won't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it, it was more about, um, you know, trust your instinct, trust your palate. Um, and I think especially sometimes like being a woman, especially in this industry, you can... Mm -hmm find a lot of ways to have your your confidence challenged a little bit but I'm good at what I do and you know sometimes Absolutely. I need to remind myself and remind myself of Audrey's advice mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that advice too because I think it also the, the the way that I'm hearing it too it reflects almost in like form your own opinion and have your own opinion too. Yeah. And like, that's part of why we go out to bars, right? They're like the last adult haven. Yeah. And it's like more than just the drinks. It's the personalities and the music and the lights. And I think a lot of people do it well. I don't think I'm the only one, but I think we do something special. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, there's, there's bars out there or, or brands, right? Like products that we're talking about that get hyped and people just get on the train. And I feel like sometimes people are afraid to be like, actually, like, I'm not sure that I'm in yeah. that camp or whatever. Yeah. And it can work in a lot of places for a lot of people, but it might not be for you. Exactly. Yeah. And fourth question for you. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? So I won't go to Dearvin and have a Gibson even though it would be cool if I just went out there. It's fine. I love it. Um, probably Attaboy because it's my favorite, like, after work spot. Milk and Honey was so influential to me and how I learned about drinks. Um, that, like, still being in that space never really gets old for me. Fantastic. And you're also more than welcome to go to Dear Irving and have a good <laughs> Final question. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Okay, so I actually have two answers because I'm also on a global quest to find the best espresso martini. So I kind of want to go out on a caffeine high. Hey, take me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> but my favorite sipping drink is a Boulevardier. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like contemplating, this is my last one, it's the end of the road. I would actually go out on a Boulevardier. Boulevardier. Espresso Martini is just a more fun story. Yeah. 
That's really fun. <laughs> and if we can if we can get you for a, for a twofer here, what's yeah. going to be your what's going to be your Boulevardier kind of your your preferred spec as you're making it at the moment? So as I mostly make it right now is Buffalo Trace Bourbon, mm-hmm. my, my fave. Uh, so three quarters an ounce of Campari, three quarters of an ounce of uh, the sweet vermouth version of the Carpano, so Carpana Antica, mm-hmm. one and a half ounces of bourbon stirred on a big rock. I like it on the rocks uh, with the orange twist oil expressed over. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Don't you want one? <laughs> I really want one. Now. I'll take a Gibson first. Yes, okay. I'll finish with a Boulevardier. That's our nightcap, our, our Boulevardier. <laughs> well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really wonderful exploring the Gibson with you. Thank you. I hope I made everybody thirsty. (laughs) I'm certainly thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vine Pair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you Until next time.